0: Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner podcast.
1: A podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today.
0: I'm Whitney Lowe.
1: And I'm Till Welcome,
0: Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner.
1: Till here. Books of Discovery has been part of the massage therapy education world for over 20 years, thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks and digital resources. In these trying times, this beloved publisher is dedicated to helping educators with online friendly digital resources that make instruction easier and more effective in the classroom or virtually.
0: And I'm Whitney Lowe and Books of Discovery likes to say learning adventures start here. They see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast and they're proud to support our work knowing we share the mission to bring massage and bodywork community enlivening content that advances our profession. So check out their collection of e-textbooks and digital learning resources for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, and physiology at booksofdiscovery.com where Thinking Practitioner listeners save 15%. By entering thinking at checkout. Hello, Till. How are you today, sir? I
1: am very good, Whitney. Thanks. Nice to be here with you. How are you doing?
0: Um, I am doing okay, doing better. I've been ill for the last week or so. I had a very unusual case of pneumonia that I am coming off of. So um yeah, yeah I had an interesting little experience with that. Um So uh, I'm glad
1: you're, well, I mean, what was interesting about it?
0: Well, it was interesting, you know, from a, uh, always interesting, you know, going to the doctor and doing things and watching the healthcare system work and watching my own symptoms and things like that. And I was just extremely ill for about five days with Mm. very high fever, very serious chills, fatigues, aches, body, uh, you know, um, aching all that kind of stuff. And I went, you know, to get a COVID test thinking like, God, this is just weird. These symptoms I was having and, went to urgent care and it came back negative and was still sick. A couple of days later went back again and the doctor started running a group of tests and end up. I have pneumonia, um, mm. with no cough, no running nose, no sore throat, no upper respiratory, uh, you know, symptoms at all, which was weird. And, uh, so that was really interesting. And he said, yeah, he had been humbled by that condition numerous times of seeing it act, act weird. So that was a, an interesting and fascinating little process to go through there.
1: No fun, though. Yeah, I can take all kinds of forms. That I mentioned that I have some history yeah. getting over that, too. So I'm glad you're able to join us today. I'm glad you're on the mend and feeling better. Yeah. I'll try to, try to take it easy on you today. Please you, do. Please you, all right. Nice. Easy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because you proposed an interesting topic. You wanted to talk about orthopedic special tests. Did I get that right?
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been kind of an interesting topic. Bandied about quite a good bit across social media and some other platforms as well. And I thought we should handle this a little bit here, too. So We uh, should.
1: And especially, like, how does it relate to the hands-on manual therapy, massage therapy world that we talk to, talk about? Yeah. But uh, so let me just launch in. I'm really looking forward, by the way, just to picking your brain about this. Uh, What do you mean or what do we mean by or uh, special orthopedic tests or orthopedic special tests.
0: Yeah. So these are tests that um, are usually designed to increase our likelihood of recognizing a particular orthopedic pathology, you know, be that carpal tunnel syndrome or tennis elbow or whatever is, Um, you know, there's a lot of ways that you might just, you know, see if someone has wrist pain or if somebody has elbow pain but you do t- want to try to narrow that down as much as possible. And so over the course of the last, I don't know when the first special orthopedic test ever, ever came up, that'd be an interesting trivia question for somebody to figure out. Mm. Um, but, you know, over the last um, decades, there have been hundreds and hundreds of these tests that have been developed. With the, the key thing is they, um, a great deal of them, in my opinion, go back to the original, you um, theoretical models of James Syriacs with something that he called selective tissue tension paradigm, Mm -hmm. uh, where you try to selectively apply a force to a local tissue in some way and see if it elicits pain, indicating that there's a particular problem with that tissue. And so they took that idea with special orthopedic tests and just found out, well, what kinds of things you know, stress the involved tissue in carpal tunnel syndrome when it's present. And they found, you know, a number of different procedures would do that on a really regular basis. And after a while they found it being, you know, frequent enough that some, this person would decide to say, okay, I'm going to call this, you know, after my name or whatever, and name it the, the phalens test or the Tunnell sign or what the, uh, so and so test, you know. So those Thomas are test, so. the
1: Thomas test. So those, those yeah. are examples of special orthopedic tests that, in those cases, are specific used specifically to try to assess or uh, identify carpal tunnel issues.
0: Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So, um, w- I I really like to say, you know, they, they tend to be used to try to, to identify those things frequently. And this is something we'll talk about in a good bit more detail. I think they're important to try to rule out or further refine your understanding of things. But what's come to pass is that frequently they've been used to shortcut a lot of the other evaluation process. Um, and, and jump to an understanding or jump to a suspicion about something being there when the, the evaluation isn't actually as thorough and comprehensive as it could be.
1: Okay. So maybe you're saying maybe the having a test could shortcut or or cause you to abbreviate some of the other things you do to learn about what's going on Yeah. in a way that may not be helpful.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. I mean, do you... Uh, hmm, it, you mentioned the Tinel sign, Phelan test, test. Uh, Any? Yeah, I'm thinking of the Lasig test or the straight leg raise. There's just some classics out there in the literature. And you said there's hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of them. Uh, do you think it's important for massage therapists to learn these? I mean, these are you know we're, these are we're quoting these right out of physiotherapy or orthopedic medicine. Yeah. How about massage therapists and manual therapists? What? Do they have a place for us?
0: I do think they have a place for us. And, and this is, um, you know, I've sort of debated about a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, for decades myself, you know, and, and really, I mean, I, uh, you know, kind of backtracking on this a little bit, you know, I think I may have told this story on the podcast before of, of, you know, how I kind of got interested in this stuff, but, you know, it started for me, uh, probably six months into my massage practice. Um, I, I opened a practice in a medical office building because, you know, we were sort of told, you know, if you really want to start getting into the healthcare system, start networking with doctors and that sort of thing. And, and so I did, I opened up a, an office there in this building and, you know, I was very young and green and did not really know what I was doing a lot. And of course my training was pretty limited at that time. It was just, you know, six months out of massage school, but in any event, you know, gave brochures to all the docs in the building and all that kind of thing and and so this um, woman came down to see me one day she said she had been sent down by one of the doctors the general practice doctors up there who he you know said like okay well let me s- send somebody down to this guy and see what uh, see if it helps and she came in and she was obviously in a tremendous amount of pain uh, back pain and so i started going through the whole interview thing with her filling out the form and things like that And and um, you know, she's, I was trying to tell her, you know, how to get undressed, get on the table and I would come in and start doing it. And she's looking at the massage table and, and kind of looking back at me and I kind of, I could see what's going through her head is like, how am I going to get on that table? Um, and I'm recognizing, uh, that this is going to get to be a real challenge here. And so, um, she did find a way to get onto the table and, um, you know, uh, What I didn't allow to her to hear the the words and the phrase or the the rotating thing going on in my head was I have no idea what's wrong with this woman, and Uh I don't know if I'm going to help her. I don't know if I'm going to hurt her, but I need this client really badly because this doctor just sent her to me. It's the first (laughs) person he's ever sent down here, and I can't just send her back. Yeah, like I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, Uh, and so. You know, my my treatment goal for that day ended up being let this woman leave my office without worse pain. than she came in here and I will definitely consider that a success. (laughs) And then as soon as she did, I started, you know, I was uh, like moments later into the books, like I got to figure out what back, you know, how do you figure out what somebody's back pain was? And and it was at that time too that I also ran into Benny, uh, Benny Vaughn. Uh-huh. and you know he was the first person who had been teaching continuing education workshops that i had attended that ever started talking about assessment mm. and so that just clicked with me as something that was really relevant for us to learn how to figure out what was wrong with somebody and so That's... back to your original question about special orthopedic tests yeah in in many instances they have a great deal of value because they can certainly rule out a lot of red flags and you know help you refine a direction of understanding of what's happening.
1: Okay, so they can rule out red flags, they can help us understand what's happening. Yeah. But just back to your story for a second cuz I think that's I think that's emblematic if, in a way of the way our field is evolving where yeah, we most of us weren't changed, not trained rather in that deductive process of trying to figure out what's happening with the client or patient. Most of us were trained in protocols and routines of yeah. some sort, and we just apply that. I'm remembering my own beginning stories of being finding myself in a room with somebody with a fairly serious situation and like, okay, which routine do I use now? Yeah. And really pulling out of the hat or just trying to even guess. Yeah. And thank goodness you know, so many of them worked that that allowed me to have enough encouragement. But you said that really drove you to hit the books and really start to understand these things. It's also making me remember, that's basically how I met you because I was uh, scheduled to teach a class on the shoulder. And someone says, okay, so could you focus that around conditions of the shoulder, which was actually kind of a radical idea. Cause otherwise I was just thinking, yeah, shoulders are cool. Let's talk about shoulders. I'm like, Oh, conditions of the shoulder, like reasons clients would actually be coming to see us. That's a cool thought. This would be middle nineties or something yeah. <laughs> like that. And, uh, So I just started searching the literature. I probably, I don't even know if it was Google we had back then, maybe it was Yahoo or something, but I was just doing internet searches and came up with your name and like, oh, wow, here's this massage guy who actually wrote an article about, I think it was carpal tunnel or something. Maybe it was thoracic outlet. It's one of those. And I thought, okay, this is pretty good. So he's like, this guy, Whitney, is finding things in the orthopedic world and helping translate them to our manual therapy world. That's pretty great. So I think it was actually through you that I got introduced to some of those Yeah. Uh, back in.
0: Yeah. And, and certainly, you know, my background was a bit unusual too, compared to a lot of other massage therapists in terms of learning environments, because um, I spent a lot of my early years in an orthopedic clinic. Yeah. So uh, working side by side with orthopedic physicians and physical therapists and that sort of thing. So I learned a lot of what they were doing. Simply by, you know, watching them and following them around and asking a ton of questions and, and so, you know, recognizing, thinking, hey, this could really be relevant for massage therapists and you know, mm-hmm. that maybe not. So well, before. you've really,
1: you've really made a unique contribution and found a niche for yourself of and standing for that process of, of the critical thinking of using assessments to think it through because, again, that wasn't part of our tradition for many of us. Yeah, and so it's really interesting that you're talking about these now, from this point of view, mm-hmm. and you're you're dialing it down to where you see them being useful. Yeah, ruling things in, ruling things out. Uh, is it time to talk about any other pros before we
0: get into the cons? Well, yeah, uh, one thing I would like to mention in terms of this, and this is kind of touching base. You know, you and I just got through participating in a panel discussion on uh, critical thinking and, and yeah. sort of reasoning processes. And this is one of those places where um, I think that it really shines the, the value and the necessity of developing some types of critical thinking and reasoning skills mm-hmm. um, and in relation to orthopedic assessment uh, tests, special orthopedic assessment tests. For example, um, I wrote this article back in 19... 19- um oh when was it um i've got to look this up here uh oh actually 2008 yeah it was 2008 so uh wrote this article in 2008 for the journal of body work and movement therapies on suggested variations on standard carpal tunnel assessment tests Mm. and where this came from was me working with a number of people and finding like in a standard orthopedic assessment test like a phalanx test where in the phalanx test, if you're not familiar with this procedure, you just place your backsides of your hands together and press them against each other. And that bend in the wrist right so over like the a, carpal tunnel. Mm-hmm, puts like pressure. a reverse, yeah. reverse prayer position.
1: So my exactly. fingers, yeah. fingers are pointing down, the back of my hands are together and I press them together.
0: Yeah. Okay. And in that, in that position that presses on the median nerve in the carpal tunnel and usually will exacerbate and aggravate those symptoms indicating carpal tunnel involvement. But let's say your carpal tunnel is not really as severe yet, Mm. but maybe there are certain things that you do that might make it those symptoms come up. Well, you know, at the same time I was really heavy into exploring David Butler's work on neural mobilization and uh, um, Mm -hmm. Michael Shacklock's work and all that kind of stuff and thought, well, what if we modify some of those standard carpal tunnel assessment positions for example, with the Phalen's test position, instead of holding the hands in front of the body with the rest of the upper median nerve relaxed, mm. what if you did that with your arm all the way stuck out to the side and your head bent to the opposite side, which puts mm. tension throughout the whole neural structure? And what I found is that then those carpal tunnel symptoms often would show up where they wouldn't show up in a standard carpal tunnel assessment. Test. So you were
1: stre- you were stressing the nerve a little bit with the position, like a neurodynamic yeah. kind of tensioner. Yeah. And you were using that as a kind of assessment to see, is that nerve sensitized? Does it yeah. So symptoms? I'd
0: use the phalanx test position with the hand, you know, bent oh, yeah. okay. all the way out to the side with the rest of the nerve tensioned that way. Yeah. And uh, you know, and then take the tension off by bending the head back to neutral and see does the, does the wrist pain stop? Yes. Uh, and often it would. And so, Thinking through how might I vary this standard assessment procedure Mm -hmm. um, helps me, you know, pinpoint if there is some type of local tissue-driven nociceptive problem there, like you know, inflamed median nerve getting compressed, or is this maybe a larger, large-scale neural sensitization issue somewhere else? So. From that instance, or knowing some basic orthopedic special tests to start with and alter those positions is really valuable. And so that's why I still think it's really helpful for a massage therapists to know some of these procedures and then to be able to use them appropriately.
1: Okay, Great. So, yeah, if you, I mean, if you hang out with physical therapists or physios at all, that's their bread and butters. I mean, most of them are very well trained in the conventional repertory of them. Yeah. And at least uh, even if there's debate in that field about their usefulness, there's still, most of them are still getting tested on it. Yeah. And that becomes the kind of working vocabulary of uh, a lot of physical therapy. Yeah. At least in the U.S. I don't know about other countries, but yeah, these, these tests become the kind of... Uh, the collective wisdom of that set. Yeah. So, uh, is there, are we ready for some of the ways that they've come under scrutiny, or people are questioning their usefulness?
0: Yeah, I think that's a good place to jump into next here.
1: Yeah. What so? What are what are some of the cons of those, or why are they perhaps being questioned or controversial?
0: Well, a couple of things um, come to mind, and and there are, uh, several of the things are outlined really well in a nice little editorial piece um that was in the british journal of sports medicine in 2017 its name caught my eye and i had just like i've got to read this to see what it is about the um paper is called orthopedic special tests and diagnostic accuracy studies house wine served in very cheap containers mm-hmm. i thought <laughs> what on the world are they what? talking <laughs> what in the world are they talking about so i got to go uh look this up but the the analogy Chad, that they use Chad Cook, by the Chad way, Cook and, and their co yeah, yeah. co authors of an of excellent orthopedic assessment text, uh, text, and uh, they've been doing this stuff for just years, so they're heavily into it, yeah. Um, but they put together some really good concepts and ideas in this piece. First of all, um, they were saying orthopedic special tests have become house wine, and the analogy that they use is like when you go out to dinner, you could go down the wine list and start thinking, what would pair? Well, I'm going to have lamb tonight. What's going to pair well with the lamb. I've got to think through this and, you know, uh, figure out what's going to work. Well, or I could just order the house wine and that'd be the uh-huh. easy way around it. I and see. this is what happens a lot with the special orthopedic test is that people say somebody comes in with shoulder pain. And they just start going through a bunch of shoulder tests with them right. without going through the other pieces first that really need to happen for a comprehensive evaluation.
1: For example, what's some of the other pieces?
0: did you? So for example, like, did they go through, you know, active and passive movement and resistive testing of mo- numerous positions and find out, you know, certain of these things hurt during active movement, but not during passive movement or, you know, what was the pattern? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they hurt during abduction but, uh, you know, not during external rotation or something like that. Specific and they didn't look variations. for some of those specific patterns mm-hmm. that would point to, um, you know, uh, something else that might be happening in there. And they jump to, you know, using, you know, these special orthopedic tests as a means of identifying something rather quickly, which is very helpful in the healthcare system when you're uh, a physician who only spends an average of, you know, seven minutes with a client. Uh, to yeah. do some of this kind of stuff just rapidly. And it's, oh, yep, got it. That's what you got. Right. Um, so so they,
1: they really do, they become probably so ubiquitous because they do really lend themselves to defining something, giving it a name, which yeah. is something you got to write down with your ISD and you know description, whatever it is. They help you uh, just have the feeling like you know what to do. Okay, now I know what it is. And now I know what to do that's the promise but some of the uh critiques in this paper were it's like house wine it's one size fits all is that the critique
0: basically yeah just that it it allows you to skip over the other parts of making decisions that you really should be going through and just go for the easy answer which Um, also
1: might include history uh the medical circumstances personal circumstances all those kind of factors in there as well
0: And so I've seen this a lot, you know, in terms of the way these procedures have been used in the massage therapy world is, is Uh in a similar fashion. When people learn some special orthopedic tests, you know, they'll jump right to doing some of these tests and skip over those other important parts of the evaluation process, which I think often illustrate or, or make something show up that doesn't show up at all in in the orthopedic test. Um, Mm. And the other part of this problem is you know, many of these tests aren't actually that reliable when they started doing some of the evaluation studies for, you know, how accurate these tests really Mm -hmm. were across a broad spectrum of the Mm -hmm. population with certain conditions. um, They didn't turn out to have such great accuracy. So that could be, that's one problem. And the other, uh, you know, another issue that uh, they brought up in this little editorial piece is that You know the accuracy studies that are often run on these orthopedic tests are compared against some other types of gold standards, which oftentimes aren't themselves that accurate. So now you're trying to make something determine how accurate. Yeah, this is. Yeah, well, that's.
1: I mean, the validity of a test is a big topic. So it's you're saying that some of the critique in this paper, maybe in general, is that. One, they may not be that accurate. Maybe they don't really reliably show what they say they show. And then even when they do, the what they're compared to might be complex too. Yeah, I, I read the figure, I'm just pulling it out of my memory, but I think it's somewhere between 4% and 7%. I think it's Chad Cook said four, and someone else said seven, in terms of the number of standard orthopedic tests that could be said to be absolutely reliable and compared to something that could be validated another way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's a
1: really low percentage of these things that actually have an evidence base behind them, it turns out.
0: Right. And that's, that becomes a problem if you're putting a whole lot more of your eggs in that basket in your evaluation process and not doing a a bunch of other things. Now, Mm. if you're using that test, as a piece of the puzzle and you're using that as only a, you know, a small percentage of your evaluation thought process and you're recognizing okay. that it has accuracy limitations, then there's still, you know, value in having that be part of your evaluation process. But the, the trick is, and the, the seductive trick is they tend to be things that, that make us think that we've really nailed something down when we may not have.
1: This was a, you're bringing to mind a debate that was very much alive in my days at the Rolf Institute when I was teaching at the Rolf Institute, and it's probably just a fundamental paradigm clash in our ways of understanding things, but on one side of this debate was the idea that what we're learning is essentially mysterious and acquired through experience and is so complex and multi-causal, that trying to reduce it to cause and effect is bound to fail, that basically you couldn't reduce something like manual therapy down to a bunch of tests that say, if I do this, then I'm going to know exactly what to do, because it's just too complex. Yeah. That's one side of the debate. The other side of the debate was uh, all of us who were trying to learn this stuff going, okay, so given that, what the heck do I do? How do I even know where to start? Give me something that I can try, so it'll give me a sense of what needs to happen next. And I remember the teachers there at the Institute at some point were identified as being in one camp or the other. And eventually that led to a kind of split, political split in the Institute. It was painful for the people involved, but the ones with one point of view went to one school, the ones with another point of view ostensibly went to another school, but of course, you know, it's not quite that simple, but that's, this is a really fundamental uh, schism in our ways of understanding. You know, can we reduce it to simple, if I see this, then I do that. Yeah. And then is, is using multiple tests enough? Because that's often the caveat that's given. You say, okay, so learn these tests, but do several because that'll help cover it. But you're saying there's another level of complexity too, which is really understanding the context and the history and some other factors around that.
0: Yeah. Now, let me introduce another thought into this, which I yeah. have found interesting to ponder because I began thinking about this when I was you know looking at all this stuff, questioning some of the value of these tests over the last couple of years. And you and I um, had an interesting, you know, podcast discussion about this when we were talking about client expectations and outcomes. Yeah. Um, um, I don't remember our episode number that we did that with, um, but that was, um, uh, you know, we had some fascinating discussions about how client expectations can really enhance the outcomes. Now, the idea when you start going in your- 23, sorry, I just, sorry,
1: Twenty-three. Excellent. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I just looked it up.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you did because I want to be able to reference that. And our, we had who was our guest that we had for that discussion? It was um, that was uh, Mark Bishop? and yeah, Mark Bishop, right? Yeah. So Mark, you know, had wonderful research that he's done on these whole issues around client expectations, and so you start going through uh, a number of orthopedic tests with somebody. And it's kind of like, hey, this kind of person—God really knows what they're doing. You know, they're like asking me all these questions. Because I will tell you numerous, numerous times clinically, I have had clients ask me, how come nobody ever did this with me before Um, when we're going through the assessment and the evaluation process? Because I do a really thorough and Mm -hmm. comprehensive assessment. And I think that has a lot of uh, benefit for client outcomes for um, people feeling greater confidence in what I'm going to be doing with my therapeutic interventions uh, with them as well. So uh, that's another potential benefit that they may have um, that's not often recognized and not often talked about.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, just there's a process of listening and methodically working through with someone that has an effect in and of itself of just getting the details there, getting the story established. So taking the time to do that, I can see being really therapeutic in its own right Yeah, as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so say some more about what could be the most effective ways to use these. Anything else we want to check off? How should we use them before we do more about how not to use them?
0: Yeah, so um, I, ro- I just want to encourage people, if you are going to use them, to, to basically don't use them in a vacuum by any means, you know, let them be a comprehensive part of a bigger picture puzzle that you use in your evaluation process. They shouldn't, I don't, I don't agree with just, I have heard some very prominent um, educators say some things like, oh, I don't do any of that kind of stuff anymore. I just, you know." start you know working with my client's sense of discomfort and and you know work from there um that's okay if that's your approach uh that's not what i find to be most effective for me i still think there's a lot of value in uh finding uh in, in certain types of conditions finding instances where um it's potentially beneficial to to do this and have it really uh you know help somebody by you know finding the nature of what's going on with them so um i think there's a lot of benefits and ways that this still can can be done here
1: great and what so how should we not use them i mean it's it's a i want to throw in the diagnosis word in there too because in uh, how is this different than diagnosing if we use a special test and say oh yeah positive for pain carpal tunnel, I got it. How is that different than diagnosing?
0: Yeah. And that's something that we haven't uh, touched on here. And it's a really important distinction because there is that seductive uh, temptation for a lot of practitioners is to get into the thought process of using them that way. And I will also say too, in, in watching a lot of the social media discussions about these topics, a lot of massage therapists will just jump back in and say, no, I don't use these tests because we don't diagnose. And that reveals a fundamental (laughs) misunderstanding of what they're used for, because there is a big difference between assessment and diagnosis. You know, assessment is a systematic process of gathering information. And that's what we're doing with this test. Now, if you take that Phelan's test and you tell your client, oh, see, you got pain in your wrist, you've got carpal tunnel syndrome. Now you've crossed the line because you've told them, a particular condition and named it, and that's giving it a diagnosis. You may think in your head, they have carpal tunnel syndrome and you say, Oh, you've got pain there. Okay. Well let's see if we can work with some of that discomfort with, with the manual therapy that we're going to be doing here. Um, You don't ever have to tell them any particular named condition, but that's a, a seductive place that people often get into and often misunderstand how to use those procedures and end up doing the, kind of that kind of stuff. And you can get, end up getting yourself in trouble uh, by doing that as well.
1: Well, getting yourself in trouble, but also it's enormously complex to tell someone they have something, yeah. or even that there's, their positive test means that it's a likelihood that they quote, have something. Yeah. And there's uh, some really good reasons why most of us are, have injunctions against doing that. Because just because of that communication process can be, it can be helpful, it can be harmful to be told yeah. mm-hmm. you got something going on. And yet we are, I'm, I'm with you, Whitney, we are all the, as practitioners, we're gathering information, we're making guesses, working hypotheses all the time for ourselves. that guide our work and we can dialogue about them with our clients and patients. But yeah, the the difference there being, I'm not telling them what's going on with them. I'm using these as starting places or working hypotheses that I go check and test for myself. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. and that's that's uh, a really key thing for people to remember is 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 how you do that and how you frame it and how you look at those kinds of procedures because you can give people, you know, really, um, I don't want to say damaging, but let's just call it detrimental seceptive uh, messages about things going on with them by saying, Oh, well, you've got a, you know, a positive phalanx test. That definitely means there's, there's something going, you know, you've got, you know, got a, your nerve is compressed here. We don't know that for sure, actually. So mm-hmm. um, we can say, Oh, mm-hmm. you've got increased pain there. So let's look at this. There could be, you know, a number of different factors that might be, might be producing that. So.
1: Mm-hmm. So we don't look for them for an absolute diagnosis. We, uh, don't treat, we don't use them in isolation saying, if I see this, then absolutely I do that. Any other things we don't do with special tests?
0: Um, I think those are the, those are the, the big don'ts. And I would say too, don't put so much weight on them. Um, Um, I, you know, and (sighs) this is painfully obvious that this is not, uh, (laughs) <laughs> this. this is not a beneficial business perspective for me to say, don't put so much emphasis on the stuff that I spent a whole bunch of years writing a book about and selling it uh, everywhere yeah. to people with all these special orthopedic tests in it and everything. Um, but the reality is I don't do that anymore to the same degree either. So um, I really have moved away from a lot of this stuff that, that is in the book that way and, and don't put as much emphasis on it, uh, as I used to, for sure.
1: Well, okay. I think we've kind of filled out why, but mm-hmm. tell me say a little more about that, what that was like for you over the years, because yeah, you put a lot of energy into cataloging and clarifying and building a model on these. Tell us about
0: what that's like for you now. It's challenging. Uh, I mean, yes. it's very challenging for me because, um, what, there's that um, quote. he has been bandied about on the um, uh, internet quite a bit. About it. it's uh, it's hard to get somebody to change their understanding when uh, what what is it when uh, when their income depends on it or something like that. I can't remember exactly where yeah, it goes, but right. um, you know. Right. And I've seen that with a lot of people having difficulty making significant paradigm shifts around the models that they've taught for years. And that's one, one of the ways in which that's been challenging for me, which is that, you know, I've been all about assessment for, I mean, not all about assessment. There's a lot of emphasis on, you know, the treatment that follows through with that, but assessment has been a big, big, big part of Mm -hmm. my focus and my business Uh, and also introducing and teaching Mm -hmm. massage therapists, a lot of these special orthopedic tests. I spent a lot of time learning about them and I'll spend a lot of time learning them um, in these different environments. So yeah, that's been a, um, that's been one of those um, rug pull out from under the feet kinds of things to, to um, cause me to reframe um, a lot of what I'm doing and a lot of what I'm talking about. But it has also led me to refocus more on oh, what do I think are really the valuable things that people need to be mm-hmm. learning and what, what are more valuable things they need to be getting for, from things. Because I saw this happen a lot in the in the classroom, in the education world, is that there's a lot of emphasis on just trying to learn these tests. And and that's trickled down into entry-level training programs where they're teaching a lot of these orthopedic tests and some of these entry-level training programs now. And, man, mm-hmm. students are so overwhelmed with the amount of information that they need to l- know for their licensing exams. And what you're doing is teaching them these tests without – really developing the complex clinical reasoning that should come before you even perform the test, to mm-hmm. uh, figure mm-hmm. out what's happening. And so what you end up doing is, you know, teaching them to memorize things that just become a process or procedure that they don't really understand.
1: As well as I'm just thinking too, about the subtle uh, distinctions between specificity Yeah. And sensitivity and all of the things that a result can mean or not mean and how to use those, how to take it beyond like beyond just if I see this in the test, then I should do this. All the considerations around that are really a a large undertaking to understand all that. So you're saying that, yeah, maybe they don't belong in entry level education, or at least if they are there, uh, what do you think? well this
0: has been a really hard question for me as well and again you know i sold my book to schools for years um, for programs to teach that stuff but i really don't support that idea any longer that those things (laughs) should be taught in entry-level training programs (laughs) okay um just for those reasons that we just talked about is that like and you know a lot of of this actually for me comes from me studying a lot about education and Mm. recognizing things about cognitive load and uh, curriculum development and how to put together things where people can sequentially actually get something and keep it and, and have it last. Yes. Um, and recognizing there's a big difference between information dumping and, um, you know, educational experiences that tend to be more long lasting.
1: Well, you've, we've been talking about it, but let's just take a second to name it. What should people be learning instead? where would people's energy go instead?
0: So here's where it should go instead, in my opinion, is, and and this comes from also watching this, you know, in in teaching assessment and continuing education workshops for several decades now, which is that, you know, we start going through some basics and I'll say, hey, I want to, I want to go through some exercises here um, uh, about, you know, basic range of motion practices, you know, active motion, passive motion and manual resistive tests, which are very simple ideas. And most practitioners Mm. are taught this kind of stuff in their entry-level training programs. And so I'll ask a question, you know, how many people, you know, know how to do these procedures? And, you know, probably 90% of the hands will go up in the classroom and say, great, all right, good. So we don't need to go over that a whole lot. So let's put this into practice and I'll give them a worksheet and I'll, you know, have them go through this worksheet. I said, all right, now uh, do these procedures, you know, active uh, flexion of the shoulder you know, passive lateral rotation and resisted medial rotation. Now, if your client has pain with the first two of those, but not the second or something like that, I'll make up this pattern. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? In, and terms, they of, in will, terms of the muscle involved yeah, or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. They will struggle with this. It will take them long periods of time to go through that. And you can see the frustration of like, we never learned how to do that. <laughs> you know, it's like, Mm-hmm. That's what you should be studying. And, you know, by the time we go through this whole worksheet, there's like these light bulbs are going off for of people thinking, like, you know, we learned how to do range of motion in school, but I never really understood how to use it and what does it really mean? And so
1: this to, is what I think. How to use it to deduce or get a hypothesis about yeah. which structures might be involved and where I want to go. Yeah.
0: Even just very simple going through those uh processes. What does it mean if it's Painful when you do this and painful when you don't do that. And you'll probably recall Mm -hmm. back when we did the shoulder jam, um, um, Mm -hmm. as part of my presentation, I showed a bunch of these charts that we use that are just, you know, what happens to these tissues? So what I did is I, I ended up going back and I did this for our online program is make these tremendously detailed charts of what tissues are stressed when you do active shoulder flexion. And what tissues are stressed when you do passive shoulder flicking? what tissues are compressed, what tissues are stretched, what tissue are elongated and these, then, you know, like what would possibly cause pain when you do all these things. So now that's where I encourage people to put their attention is if you want to really do this, take a look at some of those kinds of charts and start saying, how would I figure these things out? Like in a simple evaluation with my client and look through what, what procedures cause those sensations. And then maybe you can just quickly look it up in the chart and say like, how, you know, what might be involved here? And so, um, yeah.
1: So the basic skills there are really pretty fundamental. It's a, it's a clinical reasoning process that asks the question, let's find out what's going on before we start throwing techniques at it. Yeah. Let's use spe- specific movements, active, passive, etc., resisted, unresisted. And then you've done all this work on your charts where we can actually just go look up and say, okay, so if this is the movement, then this is probably the structures involved. People with an instinctual understanding of anatomy can get there on their own too, but you've done a lot of the hard work there. I'm going to put a link to that shoulder jam presentation in our show notes, I think, because that was – you really excited people there, I remember, in the jam, too, because people go, oh, wow, you mean I can do these simple movements and then look it up in Whitney's chart and see, like, what structures involved.
0: Yeah. That's great yeah so that's that you know again is another further elaboration of thinking through from an educational perspective of what what's really information that's relevant and uh, you know how do i pull something like that out of there because the truth is the complexity of looking at those patterns is yeah. not easy yeah. um it it takes understanding a good bit of you know biomechanics kinesiology anatomy and all those things put together to kind of to put some of those concepts and ideas together but Um, if you want to get good at at looking for local tissue involvement, when that's the cause, Mm -hmm. that's a good way to do it.
1: Which, well, that the complexity there makes it really tempting to say, Oh, I don't diagnose. So I'm not going to do that. Or I work intuitively, not uh, cognitively. So I'm not going to do that. Or I kind of know what works. I'm just going to kind of go do that. I mean, all those reasons we come up with not to have Mm -hmm. to think things through. And it does, I just want to make a pitch for it. it doesn't have to be so complicated. I mean, you have done a lot of the hard work in there. And, some, and basically, it's some really pre, uh, simple principles. You're using those as pain provo- provocation tests. You're finding out what makes the, sens- the troubling sensation happen yeah. and then reverse engineering it or even using those combinations of movements to come up with a treatment strategy.
0: Yeah. And thank you for saying that, because that is absolutely true, is that it doesn't have to be hard in many instances. And in many instances, it's not yeah. that difficult. Um, I do. And this is just the way that I work mentally. I like having a framework to sort of organize my thoughts of what happens with you know, the results of these different procedures. And that's just happens to be how I work. Other people work different ways. And that's, you know, that's the beauty of the world. Um, but I do think that there is, um, you know, if, especially when you got, you know, the clients that are really trying to nail down, like, I can't, you know, get anybody to help me figure out what's wrong with my shoulder or my yes. neck or whatever. That's what is particularly helpful. Um, because yeah. it is, uh, allows you to really drill down into those kind of details.
1: Well, I see it getting, getting interesting to people at some point in their career too. I mean, maybe some people will never find it interesting, but many people after five years and 10 years in, whatever start to realize, okay, my routine, my shotgun routines, or throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks routines help a lot of people, but maybe I could get even more efficient, more specific, and even better by uh, getting methodical or getting, you know, very uh, uh, intentional in yeah. the ways I'm using these things to determine my best cast treatments.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, so we've talked about some good things. Uh, anything else you want to make sure we cover before we I wrap think it up? We,
0: yeah, I think we've hit that pretty thoroughly there on on the things that that I wanted to, to kind of call up. Um, I would encourage people to take a look at some of those things that we'll mention in the resources. Um, you know, the uh, mm-hmm. article, the, the Cook and Hegatus article was really good piece. Um, you had asked, too, about, you know, where do people uh learn some more about you know tests you know some of these different tests and and how to evaluate whether or not they're good or not Uh, i can
1: sorry but i can just hear the student in my class at this point saying okay you've told me all the reasons why tests i don't need them but now which test should i use where do i get those tests they sounded pretty (laughs) interesting to me yeah so
0: what what would you say to that person um you know there's um there's a couple of, of, of good resources out there. You know, we mentioned the, the, the uh, Chad cook, for example, he's, he's got a really good uh, book out there. Orthopedic physical examination tests. Um, That's a a good one out there. There's a really comprehensive thorough uh, assessment book uh, that David Zulak did clinical assessment for massage therapy. And David's a practitioner out of Canada and this is a a handspring publication. Um, A really thorough, comprehensive uh recourse in there so uh, again very there, yep. <laughs> few rarely do you get mas- um, these comprehensive orthopedic assessment resources aimed at massage therapists so um this is the the uh, a really good thorough one he did there um, well
1: and i just i just want to wave your flag of course you're still offering that whole repertory of tests that you've put together over the years and you're evolving and going, that's still available. Isn't it?
0: It is. And in fact, we, uh, that stuff is all inside our online program. And, you know, all of those orthopedic tests are in video in there Ooh. now, which I think is so important because a lot of these procedures, you see them in the textbooks with pictures and descriptions, but you may not understand exactly how to move the person through the test just the right way. So that's why i felt like the videos were so important so uh, um, i i really cut the number of tests down that i wanted to emphasize people to learn because yeah. i didn't think it was nece- necessary for them to really go and you know memorize you know hundreds and hundreds of these tests so i really kept it the ones that i thought had you know better accuracy levels and also were really pretty pretty relevant for can people. you
1: can you name some names are willing to name some tests that you've found useful enough to leave in there reliable enough to leave in
0: oh yeah sure like some of the you know the ones that are particularly valuable like the straight leg raise is yeah. is almost always included for people as as a, a really valuable thing lesig
1: um, test of lesig yep. yeah
0: um i've gotten a lot of uh, benefit uh, by the upper limb neurodynamic tests yeah. that have been developed that focus on you know upper limb uh, neural pathologies um, in combination with, with looking at some other things, uh, there are some other th- things that are, um, you know, particularly valuable in, in sort of nailing down some, uh, you know, making some discriminations between things, some of the, you know, patellofemoral um, tests that, uh, you know, just basic having you know, people squatting down, which is considered a special orthopedic test. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and again, this is one of the places where I get to talk about, um, you know, changing the way you do a standard testing procedure, because I, uh, found like doing palpation of the extensor retinaculum while you move the knee into flexion with a load on it, is yeah, a really different. good, valuable way to reproduce and see if that's you know causing those those kind that's, of things. So, if yeah. that's
1: the place of trouble, if that's the place that's yeah. doing compression or friction yeah. or something, that. Yeah.
0: So uh, that's great. Yeah, so a lot of those kinds of things are are particularly um, helpful and valuable, um, uh, especially you know things like the, the straight leg raise test and some other things that might help you really pull out something that's a serious red flag that needs to go uh, be there seen by somebody else. So, there you go.
1: Yeah. Well, you're just helping me appreciate too how. Uh, important a role those tests have played in my own development to go beyond for myself from just applying routines or recipes into really being able to tailor what I do to what the client's coming in with. And how it's so important just to remember they're just one factor, but they can help me to begin that process of a biomechanical uh, narrowing or a biomechanical hypothesis hypothesis, that then I can go experiment with and work from. Yeah. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But
1: I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and put the link to your online program, too, in the, in the episode resources. I think that's really a great one for people.
0: Yeah. All right.
1: Uh, Anything else you want to cover today?
0: Um, I think uh, we've done a good job of, of tailoring a, a, a discussion on, on some of these key, key things to think about around the special orthopedic tests.
1: That's great. Me, too. Yeah. And this is episode 52. And you know what that means, right? Um, fifty-two. Fifty-two. Now we're playing with a full deck. Finally. Oh. But all we need, or you could say, Before all we need is
0: we were yeah. We
1: were exactly. Or yeah. you could say at this point, all we need is a couple of jokers, and they were gonna be good.
0: <laughs> I think we've had a couple of jokers <laughs> from the start. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. Fifty-two yeah.
1: episodes. It's been a pleasure. Indeed, i looking, yeah. looking forward yeah. to the next fifty-two or however many we do.
0: Yeah uh this episode do you know what's the air date on this episode um yeah slated for you never
1: know what's going to happen but slated for the 17th of uh november 2021
0: yeah. um i can't remember i think you did put on the schedule there we were getting up really close on our two-year um anniversary yeah,
1: yeah that'll be uh here, right? that'll be a episode or two later we we'll gonna do an anniversary episode yep
0: yeah so and uh, oh, down cool. yeah all right. Well, thank you very much for that discussion today, for all those great questions. Uh, as you can tell, I love talking about this stuff and um, you know, I hope that's helpful for some other. No, well. I've,
1: I've enjoyed it. No. And thanks for sharing all that you have and having the, the time today to go over that. Yeah. I want to thank our sponsors, all of them, uh, but our closing sponsor is handspring and just about them in particular, like we mentioned, they actually uh, have a great, book on orthopedic testing we'll put the link in the show notes but when I was looking for a publisher for the for a book I was wanting to write this as many years ago, I ended up with two offers one from a large international media conglomerate and the other from Handspring, a small publisher in Scotland run by four great people who love great books and love our field. To this day, I'm glad I chose to go with them, Handspring, because not only did they help me make the books I wanted to share, the Advanced Myofascial Technique series, but their catalog has emerged as one of the leading collections of professional-level books written especially for body workers, movement teachers, and all professionals who use movement or touch to help patients achieve wellness.
0: And Handspring's Move to Learn webinars are free 45-minute broadcasts featuring their authors, including one with you, Till, So Mm -hmm. do head over to their website at handspringpublishing.com to check those out and be sure to use the code TTP at checkout for a discount. And thanks again, Handspring. And thanks to all our sponsors once again, and we uh, offer a special thanks to all of our listeners. We thank you all for hanging out with us again here today. You can stop by our sites for show notes, transcripts, and any extras. You can find that over on my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com. And Till, where can they find that for you? The
1: episode show notes, et cetera, on our site are at, under advanced-trainings.com. If there are questions or things you want to hear us talk about, email us at, uh, well, it's info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or look for us on social media uh, just under our names. My name is Till Luca. What's your name?
0: Uh, my name today is Whitney Lowe, and you can find that on my uh, social channels there as well. If you will follow us on Spotify rate us on apple podcast that does help people to find the show so uh please uh, go follow over there and then wherever else you have to listen stitcher etc and wherever you happen to listen and do tell a friend and
1: and tell and if you go to one of our sponsors tell them that you heard about it on us because that helps everybody too that helps us realize that we're helping spread the word in a helpful way
0: that does sponsors like to know that when uh, that's certainly uh, very helpful for them as well And, of course, if you're unable to find us in any of those locations, you can grab a flashlight, a transistor radio, and find a local cowboy and strap them to their saddle, and you can pick us up on satellite radio. So, (laughs) we're available there as well. Okay? Thank you, Whitney. All right, sir. Enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you again here soon.
1: See you later. Okay.